and touch screen. There we go. Why is this having problems? Oh, this is where I've lost my mouse as well. There you go. That's on that, but this isn't. Give me one moment. Okay. Um, so, I don't know if anyone remembers, back in June when I last spoke, I talked about the Sabbath. Does anyone remember that one? Yeah? Good. Two or three. Excellent. Uh, it's still online, so if you want to go back and review it, but I'll give you a little uh, summary of it now. Uh, so, with the Sabbath, it, I've been really thinking about this and how important it is, and, um, and obviously when I think about Sabbath, and we think about the Sabbath, we think about a day, but for me, really, it's about a concept, and when I talk about taking a sabbatical, it's part of that concept. Um, oh, I've got to turn it on, that's all right. Um, this is when you phone up IT, it's like, have you turned it on? <laughs> You'd be amazed. Is it plugged in? Still not working. Okay, so the meaning of the word Sabbath or Shabbat is to rest and to stop. And so um, God modelled that in creation. So he created the world for six days, and at the end of those six days, he, he stopped. He, you know, God wasn't like, I'm at the end of my six days, I've had a long week, I need a break, and I'm going to rest. No, he, he stopped. And the reason I believe he did this was to model for us. Now, interestingly, then he created uh, man and woman on the last day of that creation. And so what was the first thing that they experienced was Sabbath. For him, it was the last bit of the week. For them, it was the first bit of the week. And from that, we, we realized that God had created us to, to operate out of this position of rest uh, in him. Uh, we see the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments. So it's not just the seventh day of the week or the first day of the week, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, but it's so important that if you, God thought, I'm giving ten rules, this is going to be one of them. Um, and it's that important that he put it in the top ten. Um, there was also about the Sabbath of the land. So on the seventh year, you would let the land rest. And so you wouldn't farm it, you wouldn't do anything. Basically, everyone had a bit of a year off from farming. And then you had the Jubilee year, which was the 50th year. So if you know your maths, if you're any good at maths, you got to 49, every seven sevens, 49. And then the 50th year, you had another year. So it was two years. And so this idea of God saying, and if we know anything about agriculture, which I don't know anything about, um, but we realize there's a point where if you overwork the land, it's not good for the land. If we overwork ourselves, it's not good for us, you know? And there's a point, God's saying, come into rest. It's good for you to replenish your soul and to, to be restored. Um, God initiates feasts. I love a good feast. Um, afternoon teas, whether they're afternoon teas or something else. I love a good feast. But he also did, they were called holy days. Does anyone like a holiday? Yeah? God initiated holy days. Um, these are from him. God knows what he's doing, and he knows what is good for us. Holidays are important. And the Sabbath, you know, Jesus said this. He said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And this is a gift of God to us so that we flourish. 
Because God's, God knows what is best for us. Can we get an amen? amen? Amen. Do we believe that? That actually what God says is best. And God knows how you were made, the intricacies of your DNA, your everything in your well-being, your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health. He knows what is good for you. And we just sang, he leads me. Psalm 23, he leads me beside still waters. He leads me into green pastures. You know, he leads us into the places that he knows are good for us. Right, I had this idea. I don't know if this is even real. But we like 2020 vision, yeah? Tell me if I'm wrong. His 2020 vision is like good vision. If you had 1010 vision, I don't know if that's possible. I don't think it is. But physically, maybe you can have 2020 vision. Spiritually, we want 1010 vision, which is to see things right. And this was from John 1010, you know? And so we need to understand and see things as they are, as the world is. So the first part of that verse says, the thief comes only to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. So we have to be aware of the, the world around us. We have to be aware of the enemy. So he is the thief. Let's get my notes up. Um, so he knows, so the, the enemy will come, and the, the enemy's intention is to come and distract you know, God, the enemy cannot overcome God. The enemy, they're, they're not two people who are duking it out. You know, and I've given this illustration before, so forgive me that I've, you might have heard it. But it's like when, um, if you ever, if you've got, I've got three boys, and when they were young, we used to wrestle all the t time, and it just, it was great. And sometimes there were three of them on me, pile on. And, and if you look at it from the outside without any context, you would think, Oh, that bloke's getting a beating, you know? Because what I was doing was withholding my strength on them. I would let them pound me because in the end, if I started doing to them what they were doing to me, I wouldn't be here today. You know, I'd be in jail somewhere. And so, and it's a bit like that with God and the devil. People think, oh, they're, they're having a fight and it looks, who's in charge? Who's, who's winning? And God's, at any moment as a dad, I could have gone basically get off me and throwing them off and and that's the reality now my boys are older now and I, i'm not so sure if all particularly if all three of them uh gained up on me that i could actually uh defeat them so the analogy was good a few years ago less so now um but this is the thing the enemy's come to kill steal and destroy he wants to distract us have you ever found that when you try and do the right thing you know you're trying to go, you know, I really must get up and pray, or I really must go to church on Sunday, or I really must do this, and something gets in the way. You know, these things happen, and that's what the enemy tries to do. He tries to put things in the way. He can't stop God, but he's going to try and undermine God. He does that by putting obstacles. He does that through lies. Because, again, what we're talking to talk about is the way of God, and he'll say things like, as he did in the garden, did God really say does God really love you? Does God really want the best for you? He's going to sow these lies into our mind because he wants to undermine the word of God. Because he said to um, Eve in the garden, he said, well, actually, if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. 
because she, he was trying to say, God's withholding something from you. God's withholding good from you. And so we've got to realize this is his work, to kill, steal, and destroy. Can anyone tell me the second part of that verse? The thief comes to only to steal, kill, and destroy. Can anyone? But I have come to give. I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. It's like, which side of this do you want? You know, do you want to have um, kill, steal, destroy, or do you want to have life to the full? It's not a hard question, really. But yet, we've got to realize that if we don't follow the way of God, we're going to lose out. Okay? So we've got to realize the enemy will try and undermine the way of God. But we also have to realize that our culture, which is the flesh as well, goes against the way of God. And that's partly because of the enemy, because of the fall, and how we've turned our back on God and we've followed a different path. We've trusted in our own understanding and not in the understanding of God. Now, the reality is as well, we live, you, us here, we live in mostly in London, or just outside London, maybe some of you. And London is particularly bad for this, because London is a 24-7, full-on experience. And not even, even for us who are on the outskirts here, it's probably even worse if you're going. But you realize this if you travel around the world. And I lived at one point in um, a town called Estes Park in Colorado in America. And it was a shock to my system, because everything closed at like nine o'clock. And it was like, what the heck? Like, you want to go out for like, let's pop to the shops. Have you done that? Like, um, midnight, I'm going to the shops. I've been to the shops at two in the morning. You know, you got 24-7. McDonald's down the road is open 24-7. You know, you can go at any point, get what you want. Does anyone love a bit of Amazon Prime? You know, like, if it's not next day delivery now, I get really annoyed. I'm like, come on, next day delivery. And, and I've done the delivery when it's same-day delivery as well, which is kind of scary. It's like, I don't know how you move that quick. Um, what about unlimited Wi-Fi? We were just talking earlier about what did we do before mobile phones and things like that. What did we do before unlimited Wi-Fi? Because, again, hands up if you remember the, the, the sound of the modem, or things like that. And it was like, or I remember back at home when someone was on the internet and then someone else picked up the phone and it was like, you've cut me off from the internet. I was, I was doing, downloading that picture for the past 10 minutes um, or something like that. And things were really quite painful. Nowadays, it's like the moment the Wi-Fi goes off, it's like, where's my Wi-Fi? And we're so used to these things being at hand. Now, some of you might be like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, but everything is at our fingertips. And we live in that environment where it's now, now, now. I want, I want, and I get, I get. We are attached to our phones. This, these are, again, some of the things I'm talking about are my reflections, but I believe they're true. We are attached to our phones and we get this digital dependency. <laughs> also, we live in a environment of constant entertainment whether it's tv whether it's games your netflix your amazon prime your disney plus now tv you know there's enough that you never have to stop again i'm of an age where i remember 
Channel 4 coming on board. It's like, then Channel 5, and some of you are like, I remember when there was only one channel. Um, and we watched the coronation. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, but again, because they came to the point where it was like, there was nothing there to watch. Although I do realize, you realize when you're of that generation, you used to watch a load of rubbish because it was the only thing on and people just watched what was the only thing on. But nowadays, there's no end. And you get to the end of this box set that you've just watched. And again, it's called a box set because they used to come in a box of DVDs or videos. Um, just trying to, for the younger people. And that's why it's called a box set. Um, <laughs> what's that? But do you know why it's called a box set? All right. But in 10 years' time, when they watch this on YouTube, they all be like, what the heck is he on about? Um, but again, and these things are not wrong. They're not evil. Like, none of the things I've mentioned are wrong or evil. But they can become an obstacle to a healthy relationship with God. And that's the reality. We need to be aware of the culture we are in. And so God calls us to a rhythm, a different way of living. And I believe that if you follow the way of God in this society, it's going to feel like you're swimming against the tide. Because everything is wired up to live a certain way. Our expectations are wired to be a certain way. And it's going to feel like you're swimming against the flow. And there are just little things like walking down this morning, as I walked down here, and I walked past the rugby club, and I really wanted Samuel to join the rugby club. And they, I said, so when is it? And they said, it's Sunday mornings. I'm like, oh, that's a problem for me. Because actually, I go and worship God on a Sunday morning. You know? And so just normal things that for a lot of people, they're not even going to consider or think about. But for the Christian, there's going to be pinch points of difficulty where you're not going to be able to do what the world is doing. But the more you persist in this, the more you swim against the flow, the stronger you get. You know, it might be to be, if you've ever tried to do anything like that where you go against the flow, you're like, or swimming and you're going backwards, um, drifting out to sea. But the, the more you do it, the stronger you get. The Apostle Paul said that also he didn't want to be mastered by anything he would be the master of them. And I think, again, that's the key, that we've got these things, and they're quite neutral sometimes of themselves. But the question is, what is mastering you in your life? We shouldn't be mastered by anything. We should be free from everything because Christ has made us free. And so, for me, the Sabbath, and for me, my sabbatical... And so we think about this, and when I talk about Sabbath, you, it could be a sabbatical. It could be a Sabbath day. It could be a time in any day. But it's a time where we stop and we rest, we reflect, and we come to the Lord. And so the Sabbath is a time of resetting. And so, I don't know if you can tell, the, the picture's not great, is it? Um, but there's a golfer there. And it's not a time of golf, but there's an analogy here for you. Because... Um, if anyone plays golf, the idea is to hit the ball in pretty much a straight line down the fairway. Now, I'm not a, I play a bit of golf, I'm not brilliant, but there's something called a hook and there's something called a slice. And that's where, instead of going straight, it goes off to the left or it goes off to the right. 
Now, if you only hit the ball maybe two or three meters, if you're one degree off to the left or to right, it doesn't really matter. You know, if I did that here and there was a ball that went two or three meters, one went straight, one went one degree to the left, one went one degree to the right, they might even still be touching each other in a couple of meters' time. But put that over, now this is taken into golf terms, 200 yards or 300 yards. One degree of variation can cause a problem. And this is in life. We, we seek to follow God, but just the reality of the world around us, the reality of the enemy seeking to put those lies into our head, put obstacles in our way, the culture that we are living in, will mean that we go one degree off to the left. We go one degree off to the right. Now, in a short amount of time, that doesn't, it's not going to have a massive impact, but there has to be a point where you then realign and readdress that, because if you don't and you keep going off on that trajectory, there's going to be a problem, eventually, somewhere down the line. And so, when we come to God, and I believe this is a daily thing, this is a weekly thing, a monthly thing, an annual thing, a every seven-year thing, whatever it might be, we realign ourselves with him. When we come and read the word, when we come and spend time in prayer, we come before him. And this is why even we think about the holy days. They were holy days because part of the day, whilst there was feasting and enjoyment, also included time with God. And so he realized that even your holidays whether you're, like, we went to the Canary Islands, part of that time was to spend time with God. It's, it's nice doing it by the pool, you know, but you can do it anywhere. And so Sabbath is a time of resetting. So I want to go through some of the things that I learned during my resetting period. Amen. We need to learn to be still. So if we think about the 24-7 chaos culture that we're part of, being still is a difficult thing to do. Now again, it depends on your life, the impacts of your life, what's going on. Like I said, I've got three kids. Having three kids and a full-time job and whatever else has its own challenges. It has its unique challenges. You, in your situation will experience your own challenges of what this means. But we, it's something we need to learn. It's a discipline we need to practice. And, and there are a couple of reasons. One, in Psalm 46, verse 10, well known, it says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So if we put that into a mathematical equation, there's the being still equals knowing he is God. So therefore, if we don't do the first bit, we won't get the second bit. And then when we say knowing he is God, it's not just an, an intellectual acknowledgement, oh, he is God. It's a, it's a relational experience that we then come into a relationship with him where we experience him as God in our life. There's also, again, another famous passage about this is in 1 Kings 19, 11 to 13, and Elijah comes to hear from God and there's all these things going on there's a thunderstorm there's an earthquake all these great and mighty things but then it says there was a well in the new in the King James version it says a still small voice in other other versions it now says there was a whisper but the idea that imagine that if God is only speaking 
in still small voices and whispers. He doesn't only speak in that way. But imagine the majority of what God is trying to say to you, you can only hear if you've been able to still yourself enough to hear him. Because there's so many voices, there's so much noise, that actually if we don't learn to be still... And John mentioned this last week, he said about, let's sit here for three minutes. Should we do that? Let's do it for, for one minute. Let's just be still for a minute and just see what happens in you. So if you want to close your eyes, I remember at primary school they said, well, you close your eyes so you're not distracted. Put your hands together so that you don't touch anyone else. <laughs> but let's just be still for a, for a minute. That was a minute we'll finish there. I don't know what that experience was like for you, whether it was easy, whether it was hard. Because I think sometimes, and I reflect on this, that actually because I hadn't done this, to then suddenly do it was tricky. You know? It's, a, it's like using a muscle you haven't used. If you're still asleep, if you've gone to sleep, then we can wake up. But it's, I realized I couldn't sit still. Like, not physically, but my mind was buzzing. My mind, the moment I stopped, my mind was like, ping, 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 ping. Because, again, I've got three kids. I've got my a wife. I've got a house. I've got a full-time job, and there's lots of demands on that. I'm helping leading a church. And there's all these things, and things that are just demanding my attention. And therefore, it's so easy to lose the voice of God and the presence of God because of those things. And so I had to practice that. And so I would do some things. Um, also realized that I... I'll see what I did in a moment, but I realized I was addicted to busyness. Like, I like being busy. I like doing stuff. And again, the reality is, if you just continue in that, it's not good for you um, to just sit and be with God and I also believe that we can, it's only when we truly hear the voice of God. Like, we, as I said, we can hear the God in it many different ways. Like, you, I remember billboards, radio songs, all these kind of things. We, we hear God, you know, through messages from other people. But actually, if we want to develop a life with God, I believe that life is developed in the still place. Now, I also purposely call it a still place rather than a silent place. Because I don't believe we're called to be silent. Because even in that minute, 
there was noise. <laughs> there was, and I remember sitting once in the garden thinking, I'm just going to be you know, still, going to be tranquil. And there's like planes going over, cars, sirens. You know, it's not silent. But there's a silence, a stillness in me that I need to develop. Because the reality is, there's always going to be noise and something going on. But can you be still in that moment before God, even when there is an earthquake, when there is a fire, all those things going on, can you find the stillness in yourself to be before God? So here are some things I did. Um, I set my alarm on my phone for 10 minutes. That was my aim, 10 minutes of stillness. And so that was my goal. Um, I had a notepad next to me, because actually, when I'm still, there's so many things come into my mind that are actually good things as well. And I'm like, that's a good idea, I must do that. Make a note of it, and then come back to the Lord. I would use words to just um, bring myself to God. So I might just say, I'll just be there, I'll just say, Jesus is Lord. The other part of it is breathing. Breathe deeply and slowly. Jesus is Lord. Lord, I come to you. And it might be different things at different times, I would say. Um, and again, find what works for you. But what it did, it laid a foundation. Because in those 10 minutes, I never had great revelation. I never had, you know, divine encounters particularly. But it laid a foundation to hear from God. Um, and our, our mind will fight us, you know. And it's interesting that as I've been doing that, like I was saying about the more you do something, the stronger you get. And, and almost I'm unable to do things in the spiritual realm that I wasn't able to do at the beginning of that practice. I don't know if that makes sense. In a sense, like, it, like in terms of, I, you know, I like running. So like when you start running, there's things you're just not able to do. You know, someone says, go and run for 30 minutes without stopping. You're like, I can't do that. But after a bit, you can do that. And say in the spirit, there are things at the moment, at the beginning, you might find really hard or impossible. But after practice and discipline, you can do it. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He says, I bring my body under subjection. And we have to bring our bodies under subjection because our bodies will fight it. That even this morning, I had a success. I woke up a bit early and I was like, Why am I up early? And God put it on my heart to pray, get up and pray for, through for the, today. And I said, God, but I just want a bit more sleep, you know? And then this thought came into my head When have you ever been disappointed through doing this? When have you ever regretted? responding to what God has asked you to do. So after about five, ten more minutes, I got up. <laughs> and this is reality that there's so much grace of God upon us. It says Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's not like God said, you've got all these rules you need to do. He's like, no, I've got this thing that I want to give to you that's going to bless you, and, and I'm calling you to it. And the other thing I read this morning, he said, from glory to glory, he's changing us, you know? Bit by bit, we're being transformed into his image. And it's okay to learn. It's okay to make mistakes. 
And through this journey, it's like, yeah, I'm still battling with the bedclothes. I'm still like struggling to get up. And there are points where it's just, and I remember someone, I don't know if it was you, Nikki, said to me, like this week, you said, someone suddenly said to you, you just got to learn to get up. I don't know if you said that to me or someone else. Sounds like something Nikki would say to me. But you, there's a point where you just have to, if your body's not used to getting up at a certain time, you have to train your body to get up at a certain time. Part of it is you've got to learn to go to bed at a certain time as well. But we are called to be led by the Spirit and not the flesh. You know, the Bible's clear on that. Um, so we need to train our flesh. And our, I believe that a, a life ruled by the flesh will never be a life of use to God. And that's quite a bold statement because people are like, well, you know, but I want to be of use to God. But again, I'm learning more and more that unless my life is, and I'll go into this moment, is given to the Spirit, I'm never going to be of use to God. Now, God always works in exceptions, but, you know. When we stop, we detox our mind, you know. Sometimes you just need to, and that's why the practice is regular. We don't empty them, but we recenter them and filling them with God and God's truth. And this is why we have to do it regularly. Like when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, and Peter said, no, wash all of me. He's like, no, just need to wash your feet. You've been washed. And I think it's the same principle. It's like, just come regularly, wash your feet, recenter yourself, come in alignment. So learning to be still. And then the part of this is we need to address our relationship with technology. Now, some of you... This will speak more to than others. And some are like, I have no issue with this. What, you know, this isn't in my life. But I recognize that I had an unhealthy relationship with technology. Now, to be honest with you, again, two months ago, it, my life, I, I've dealt with a lot of these things, and it's not bad. But then God's like, oh, there's so much more for you, boy. You know, it's like, <laughs> there's so much more to go. I remember my first iPhone. I don't know if you remember your first iPhone or smartphone, um, I loved it. Because on my phone, it was a phone, I could message people, I could put my music, and it was a camera. Brilliant. How much more is it even today? It's got, like, to the point of I've got my calendar, I've got my emails, I've got my phone, I've got loads of apps, so you book your flights, you book your, you take it to the airport with your tickets on, you turn up at events, you've got your tickets in, um, you've, you follow something about Google Maps, what did we do when we got lost, and it's like Google Maps, uh, find my way, um, all these different things, and, and it's, it's brilliant, it's a brilliant piece of technology, but it's so addictive, it's so addictive. Let me ask a question, how many, on average, how many times? So, sorry. Huh? On average, how many times does the average person touch their smartphone in a day? Who'd like to give me a guess? Not Louisa, because I've asked her this already. Go on. Uh. Sorry. No, and just times. How many times you touch it? Fifty. Any higher than fifty? 2,000? John's gone bold. He's gone 10,000. The answer, again, 
is 2,617 times a day. 2,617, that's the average person. Now you might be like, well I hardly touch it at all. That means someone else is using up all your allocation as well. And the reality is we need some time apart. We need some time apart from our phones. We need to disconnect from it. Um, I realised that a bad habit I had, I would check apps just in case. So my, my email, I would check it. Five minutes later, check it again. Five minutes, check it again, no emails. Or sport, I, again, I like sport, go, I get the BBC Sport app, go on the BBC Sport, oh, that's the, again, read the news, 10 minutes later, what new news is there in the past 10 minutes in the world of sport? And again, I would just go on things again and again, just in case, just to check. But we have to realise there's something happening in this. And this is how technology is set up to make us addicted to it. Because when we do it, we get a dopamine shot. You know, when you get a little ping on your phone, it gives you a dopamine shot, which is a chemical in your brain that is also uh, connected. Like, you get more dopamine from things like sex, from drugs, from alcohol. It's an addictive chemical in our brain. And so this is why even games, when it's like, you've completed the level, and it goes, and because your brain goes, wow, that's brilliant, but for no real reason. You know, and so there's all this stuff going on that makes us addicted to our devices. Um, I heard someone say, you can tell you're addicted, like, um, or I'll go on to this in a moment. There are some bad signs. I put some, these are things, if you do this, um, you need to really maybe think about this. Your phone goes with you everywhere. Does your phone go with you everywhere? I'm talking about in the bathroom, you know, in the bath. <laughs> it's waterproof, isn't it? Why wouldn't you? You know, um, all the, you know, can you be detached from your phone? Um, if you don't have your phone with you, do you get anxious? Are you suddenly like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Yeah. If you have a spare moment, do you grab your phone? Because I realise this, like, um, like Louise and I might be talking and then she'd walk away for three seconds and I'd be like, grab my phone and check something. Because it was like, I've got three seconds. Why wouldn't I utilise this and check my phone? Um, are you using your phone while you're driving? Now, I'd be saying, I don't drive, but... Again, these are some things, if these are in your life, then let's think about it. So how much do you touch your phone? I don't know if you know that on your device you can go into your settings and it tells you how much you spend on your device in the day. Don't do it now when you're in quiet. Go into this quiet place and have a look. And, but also, what are you looking at? Because equally, if you're like, well, I spend 10 hours on the Bible app, Daniel. It's like, fair enough. Um, but what are you looking at? You might get shocked. There are some things that I've done to reduce my bad habits that I thought I'd share with you. Some of these I did before my sabbatical and some of them during my sabbatical to kind of enhance it. Um, again, something I do is my phone is always on silent. 
um, it just vibrates. Now, this annoys some people because they're like, why didn't you answer your phone? Because I didn't feel it vibrating. But again, I've chosen as a way of just not being connected to my phone is I'm on silent and I will access it when I want to. I've turned off virtually every single notification and pop-up on my phone. So again, the only thing that actually makes a noise, or it doesn't make a noise, it only vibrates, um, is if you phone me or text me. Not WhatsApp, text. And no one texts anymore. Um, so all my notifications are turned off. I've deleted social media off my phone. Again, I did this a long time ago. I've become quite disillusioned with social media anyway. Um, that said, I do have Twitter on there for work, and that's all. But again, where, what are those apps that you just spend a load of time on? Delete them. Because the good thing with social media, if you actually want to go on that, I can log onto a computer and I can access it. But the thing I realized was I never did that because I actually wasn't that bothered. I only accessed it because it was easy. And the other thing I did, I removed certain apps from my home screen. Because you know what? Doing two clicks is a lot of work. Like, this is the reality of how silly we are. But um, if it's on your home screen, again, some of you are looking at me like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but if it's on your home screen, it's like habit, habit, habit. I click that. Someone said they changed the order of all their apps on their home screen to realize what were they addicted to, because then you start opening apps that, oh, that's the wrong app, because it's just in the place that the other app was. But remove them from your home screen. So I do this with my work emails. I realized I do need my work emails on my phone, um, but they're not on my home screen, because otherwise I was checking my work emails all time of day, all time of night, whenever I would. I, I had a, a habit where I'd be like, personal emails, work emails, WhatsApp, BBC Sport, you know? <laughs> and I'd go through that, that cycle every 10 minutes. Uh, so, but just by deleting them was like, well, that means I've got to click on that other button, then do that, oh, that's too much work. But it's not just about phones, it's about entertainment. Is our time filled with these things? Because if it's filled with these things, we're not going to have time for God. You know, we, we, you know, we like a good show, but actually watching that show is not going to change the world. Whereas maybe you spending some time with God might change the world. And the other thing is about fasting from technology. I think it's a real practice that we need to... Uh, Again, particularly if your life, like my life, involves a lot of technology. It's my job. Um, and so actually fasting from technology is a really good practice to have. I could talk a lot about this. So if you, need, if you want to talk through it more, I can talk with you. Another thing I realized, and again, all these things are kind of interlinked, is God is calling for your whole life. Now, this isn't news. You know, if you've been around the church, you're like, I know this. But the reality is, and this is the thing I realized, as I reflected on myself, I was quite selfish. And there were things that I wanted and I wasn't going to lay down and areas of my life that were not really yielded to God. But there, because the reality is, if we ignore God's way, we end up with a compromised life. If we live for ourselves, we end up with a compromised life, a half-hearted life. And Jesus spoke to the, the church in Revelation. He said, you're neither hot or cold. You're lukewarm and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. 
You know, are we hot or are we cold? Because actually, a lukewarm life is nothing for God. And it's something we heard, I'm sure you've heard it. But there were areas in my life I turned a bit of a blind eye to. But there were also areas I was just blind to. You know, I, I wasn't aware of them. And actually, our busyness stops us taking time to reflect. I, I do this in my job. Like, we bring out all these new products and people use them, but we never reflect on how they were, was, whether they worked or not because we're so busy. You know, we've got to come back to God and say, search my heart, know my thoughts. And actually, when we stop, we allow Holy Spirit to come and reveal things to us, to convict us. And the trouble is, maybe this is the reason we don't stop, because we don't want Holy Spirit to come and convict us. You know, in that minute of silence that we had, what was coming up in your mind? Now, was it, have I turned the oven off? Was I, did I lock the back door? Was it, I've got to deal with this? Or is it, was it about a relationship with somebody or, a, you know, something that you're not certain about, an anxiety that you had? Because sometimes I found this, that when we're stopping, things crop up. And if we're trying to suppress things, then we don't want to stop. But actually, these are the times when we can come to God and deal with those things. As I was saying, for me, it's also really productive that God would say, I'd have that thing where I'd say, you know, phone your brother. And I was like, yeah, I need to phone my brother. Like, write that down. And so we're going to take time and let God speak to us. And this, as we do, God sanctifies us. You know, God changes us, as I was saying. When I became a Christian, I was 13 years old. And God highlighted things in my life that were not given to him, and I gave them to him. And at the time, you could have said to me, have you given your life fully to God? I've been like, yes. Roll on 10 years, and God says, oh, there's more stuff. And you have said to me, have you given your life fully to God? And I said, yes. Now I'm 45, and it's kind of like, have you given your life fully to God? No. But I want to, and I, that's the plan. And I'm, I'm open to what God is saying so that he might reveal more and more from glory to glory he is changing us that I might become like him because he hasn't finished yet. Um, but the more our lives are surrendered to God, the more his life is going to be able to flow through us. And this is something I got very convicted on. It's like when you preach, how much of this is me and how much of it is God? Now, the fact I'm here just probably means... There's going to be some of me in here, you know? My aim is that God just, you know, speaks through me and it's all God and it's all brilliant. But if I wait for the day when I know that's the case, I would never get up here and speak. So my aim, and I've resolved this, is to say, my aim is to become less that he might become more. But that's an ongoing journey. And in the meantime... I'm just going to do what he's saying and hopefully as I go on it will be more and more of him and less and less of me. That's the aim. We can forget that actually it's just a very simple call of God to come and follow him. But the reality is there were many who came and they said, well, I will come 
but here's my terms and conditions. And Jesus was like, no, no, you just come and you follow me and do what I say. And if we're coming with terms and conditions to God, we're never going to follow him. We're not following him. And I feel that we've lost something about the all-in heart of a disciple. John talked to uh, MLG about comfort and about coming outside of that. Where's the line of our comfort and when do we move beyond it? And I think we live in a society that's very comfortable, in a Christian culture that's very comfortable. And where are we laying down our life on a daily basis? And again, there's a whole... Each of these, I've got a whole sermon <laughs> like, to, teach, to preach on, but there's a whole thing about in our death there is resurrection and life. That's what Jesus has for us, and we need to die that he might live. And I believe God is calling us back to this first love, to complete devotion, whereas nothing is held back. I'm going to share some things just about me that I learned, and I'm very conscious after I just what I said, what is me and what is God, but hopefully we can learn from these things. And it's good for you to know as one of your leaders, like, what is this guy about? Um, what does he actually think? Um, one thing I learned on my sabbatical is that I am not indispensable, which is great <laughs> to know. Um, there's a point sometimes in life you can be deluded to think that you're absolutely indispensable and you're needed, and if you weren't there, then everything would fall apart. Um, but the reality is you're still here, and you did well without me. Well done. <laughs> um, and it's a lie, because the devil will lie that, put that into you that says, they, you know, they can't do without you. You can't stop. Now, you might put that in a different situation. You might put it in the situation of your family that says, well, if I'm not there, it's all going to go belly up. Is it? Because what it does, it impacts on our trust in God in every situation. It challenges, the Sabbath challenges our sense of control, trust in God. Also reveals how we've discipled others. Because again, it's a challenge for us as leaders that if we step away and it all falls apart, it shows that we've not done a very good job. In a sense, the aim of a leader, I believe in faith, is that you make yourself redundant because people come to maturity and actually don't really need you anymore. They might still like you and want you around, but they don't need you because otherwise we're just continually keeping people as babies in faith, and that's not the goal at all. We all need to grow up and become mature in faith. I realise that there are some things that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing, and there are some things that I wasn't doing that I should be doing. You know, we can all have that in our lives. We get caught up in, in things, and we do things because they, they're right there in front of us. We say, I must do that, I must do that. And what we do is neglect the thing that God has given us to do. Um, one of my, it's a, again, it's a bit of a blessing and a curse, I believe, that I'm, I'm a generalist. I was talking about someone the other day. I'm a 7 out of 10 on virtually everything, you know. I'm not a 10 out of 10 on anything, but generally I'm not a 4 out, you know. I can do like pretty much anything I put my hand to. Um, when I played football, 
uh, for our church team, there was one season I played every single position on the pitch during the season, and referee, and sub, I think, as well. Must have been a bad day. But again, I could just put my hand to everything, and I'd be all right. You know, I could be dependable, reliable, good enough. And while that's great in many situations, but it also means that, therefore, you can neglect the thing that you actually should be doing. And I think in that, just to share with you, I think God, in the sabbatical, renewed my heart for teaching and for pastoring, which I believe are the key things um, that God has called me to. I, again, whether that resonates with you, hopefully it does, but I believe actually that I'm a teacher-pastor, that I pastor through teaching as well, by truth and life. Um, and that's the thing I want to do. So maybe you can encourage me if you see me diverting off that and saying, why are you doing this when you should be doing this? Then I welcome that challenge in a loving, kind, gentle way. <laughs> but building, and the other thing is building in rest and the right kind of rest is important in your life. Again, it all connects because I'm not indispensable, but also I am, I am uh, finite. And if I don't build in rest, then I can't do the things that God wants me to be. Um, and that involves sleep, it involves exercise, media balance, holidays, um, food. All these things can help you be a better version of you, in a sense. That's a horrible phrase. Um, and we need to think that about in our lives. And we're all different. What builds you up and what drains you? Because if all you're doing is the stuff that drains you, eventually you're going to crash. You need to do the things that build you up as well. And so lastly, I want to talk about some things about church. Some things about you guys. It's interesting, this is a picture that you get on, on uh, if you search for the church on Google, which is me. Oh, you can't see it very well. There's me and there's Zachary, who's about that tall. Um, and then I realized I was balding then as well. Um, <laughs> thanks, Google. Um, as I visited other churches, there are some things I realized. It's good to visit other churches because then you reflect on your own church, what life is like, and there are things that I thought about us. And some of these things weren't just in sabbatical, but general, I just want to go through them with you. One is I believe every church and our church needs a red-hot centre, which for me, what that means is where God is just burning at the centre of our life together. Because we can do many things, but where do we encounter God? And I want there to be places within this church where you come and you encounter God. And it's like, whoa. And we need that in our own lives as well. We need to be on fire for him, and we bring that fire together, and the church is just a place of, of God. Because otherwise, churches become social clubs. You know? It's lovely doing these things, but unless God is burning at the centre, then we're, yeah, it's not great. Um, churches need a Sabbath. And I think this is something I'm reflecting on in how that impacts us. Now, I've had about 101 harebrained ideas of what this could be. Like, for example, I, I, one of my suggestions, <laughs> and again, we have these ideas, they're not always God. But, you know, you know the months where we have five weeks, Sundays in a month? Let's shut down one Sunday. You know, that's Sabbath. What about that? If you're in leadership, take a month off a year from being here. It's actually really good 
for you. Um, and a number of other things. Uh, I've been on sabbatical. When's John? I think John needs to go on sabbatical at some point. We need to plan that. Um, because it's good for him and it's good for us. You know, we need to be mindful of these things and come back to God's rhythm. And not only John, I'm sure there are other people as well. Um, so I reflect on hospitality in churches is so important. I visited churches, in, I visited four churches. One was River Church, so I don't count that one because <laughs> I know everyone there and they all know me. But the other three churches I went to, only one of them, had, someone spoke to me. Often, churches have got really good at having a welcome team. And that's someone standing at the door who smiles at you, at you as you walk in. And they go, welcome. It's good to see you. And you go, thanks. And then you walk past that person, and then it's wilderness. And you're like, now, our church is set up in a way that you can, you can work out pretty quickly what you should be doing. But a lot of other churches have foyers. And at times I'd walk into the foyer, everyone's milling around, busy, chatting to each other, and I'd be like, I have no idea where to go. I have no idea what the deal is here. Now, again, I've been around churches for a long time. I can work it out. But imagine being somebody who's never been to a church before. Now, to be honest, if it was me and I'd never been there, I would have turned and walked out. Hospitality is so important. Guys on the door, I know Terry's not here today, but thank you. It's so important that we welcome people in. But then beyond that, and I believe we are really good at this, actually, that once you're in, you will be talked to. You might be like, please stop talking to me, all these people. Um, but on the whole, I think we're good at it. I'm sure we can always do better, but it's so important, and I believe we do it well. And also part of that is then, again, I don't know how to say this, but I want our church to have authentic relationships because you can go in churches and it, there's a point, it can feel a bit superficial. It can feel kind of like it's all done really well. You know, and I've got this whole teaching on 1 Corinthians 13, and it's to rewrite it and say, if I have a lively band, but have not love, I am nothing. If we have great coffee, but have not love, we are nothing. <laughs> You know, if love is not at the center of what we're doing, then we have nothing. I think the last thing just to say, again, a bit sentimental, but I missed you all. And again, God reaffirms, for all our warts, all our issues, you are my people. <laughs> I am yours, like it or lump it. But again, God places people in his church, and it's Great, it's great because you go to another church and you're like, these are a strange bunch. But then you come back to your church and you're like, but they're my strange bunch. So it's okay, you know? That's okay. This is who we are. God has brought us together. And God's got a purpose for us. We are a church family. This is who we are, I believe, as a church. It's not, we try and do things well, but it's not all about slick and streamlined. You know, it's about authentic relationships it's about we are together and as we go forward i believe as a church i think that's so important that as you come here and it's great to see people who are relatively new i think be part of it join in 
because that's where you enter into authentic relationships and grow in God as well. So thank you for that. Hopefully that was helpful or just interesting um, one way or the other. And uh, should we pray and we'll come to a close. Lord, I thank you that you have called us into something wonderful. Lord, you have called us into life, resurrection, life, and it's in you, Lord Jesus. And that's why you call us to yourself. You call us to say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, and you will find rest for your souls. Lord, and we, each of us needs that. Each of us needs you. Some maybe really desperately need that today. And you've said, come away with me. Come to me. You say, go and find that closet. Hide yourself away and let's just be together. Lord, I just thank you for your grace and mercy poured out to us that we get it wrong again and again and again. But you call us back to yourself and you say, let's go. Let's go again. We can do this. Glory to glory, you're changing us, Lord. Lord, and will you lead us as a church into this season? Lord, of your will and your purpose. Help us not to be distracted. Help us not to believe lies. Help us not to be fixated on the world and its, its, its agenda. But let us hear from you, Lord, what you are speaking. Give us a heart that is willing to obey that we might know this life that you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, well, we'll come to a close there. We've got tea and coffee. Again, these things are not evil, but they're for our blessing as well. But do stay. It'd be good to catch up and to meet with you as well. So God bless.